0: It's no wonder why Jesus gave us such a grand opportunity to remember what his sacrifice means to us. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share in communion together. I enjoy working with engaged couples as they prepare for marriage. In fact, it's one of the highlights of pastoring a church. I get to cover a wide variety of truths, biblical truths with them and encourage them as they're readying themselves for the ceremony and the life together that they're going to live. One of the truths that I make sure to talk about with the young couple is Ephesians 5 33 which says, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Love and respect, I share with them, is among the great basics of truth that must dwell within your marriage and your family for it to be successful. In fact, I would say the most successful marriages and families that I've been around are those that share freely with love and respect for one another. And in a way, Timothy is helping us to discover what life is like as a family of God by moving us to treat each other with love and respect, to have in our heart a love for one another and respect for one another, and let it be demonstrated in how we interact with one another. So you can see that in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, First Timothy chapter five, in the first couple of verses there, as Paul is instructing the pastor of the Ephesian church, if he's going to have to bring com- conviction, correction, or even rebuking to the people that he ought to do so with great love and respect. There is gonna be sin in the church and it's gonna have to be confronted and there is going to be error in the church and it's gonna have to be confronted, but the way in which you do it is incredibly important. So as a pastoral letter, Paul is urging Timothy to think about how he shows love in the midst of those times. Now, you might say, well, it doesn't sound very loving if the pastor is going to rebuke me. Well, it's really a loving gesture, a caring gesture when when you are rebuked for sin and error that's in in your life. Because to continue in that is to risk uh, more significantly than the relationship that might be somewhat strained in the rebuke if we challenge one another when we are sinning then we recognize we're doing so because coming away from the sin is better than staying in the sin and so we want to uh, elevate the truth in someone's life so think back with me about the first four chapters or so of first timothy as he's just helping timothy as a pastor to think about what needs to be corrected in his church well first of all there was teaching that was contrary to the gospel right there was there were teachers who were teaching the way to god is through obedience to the law of god and of course we're miserable at that we're complete failures at that so that's if that's a way to get to god then you're in big trouble so timothy was being corrected go to your church and correct those people that is not the way to god the way to god is through faith in his grace that is extended to us if you do anything else your, your faith is going to be shipwrecked exactly what Paul is writing to Timothy about of course he's helping him to correct his church and this erroneous myth and these legends that were being taught the untruths that were being taught not just taught but being received and believed by people correct that or the impurity of heart or the ungodly ways or the insincere faith that some had in the church Paul says to Timothy make sure you correct that for the women who are forsaking their roles, for the overseers and the leaders who are really not qualified to serve and people who embraced asceticism over that of the gospel. So Paul is directing Timothy, you're gonna have to correct that, but correct it with love and respect. Make sure you're doing it in the right heart attitude. All those issues need to be resolved and corrected, don't they? You can't allow them to continue in the church because it brings a fracturing in the church. It will destroy people. It will destroy the faith. It will misalign the church. So it has to be corrected. False teaching and false belief devastate people, and it misaligns the church. And it's the duty of the church to correct that. Now, if left unaddressed, then those false beliefs and practices are going to sweep through the church, and we have seen that on many occasions. We're particularly vulnerable as a church because we are close relationally. If I mention a book to you, you're probably going to go buy the book and read the book, and you'll take my word for it. And if you extend a blog to me or you hand off a CD to me or send an mp3 my way or whatever it is the the means by which we're transferring information and media i I probably am going to receive that because i trust you i take you for your word and because of that we are vulnerable when we're not like the bereans and measuring everything to the counsel of god's word we are very vulnerable And even if we have some concern about what has been given to us, rarely would we say anything about it because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to fracture a relationship that we might have with somebody. So in that way, false teaching can sweep through a congregation like a winter flu can sweep through your house. And in both cases, it can be very painful, it can be very ugly, and it can actually be very deadly. So Paul is telling Timothy, as he's telling us, make sure that you're bringing correction to those areas where false doctrine and false teaching encroaches into the church. And so he's telling him to, to make sure he is moving towards this, but do it with the right attitude. Not just moving towards it is important, but doing it in the right way with the right attitudes, which is where we come to in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Let's read it together. But do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Let's pause and pray for a moment. Now, Lord, as your word has been read, we trust that your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, will open our eyes to it, open our ears to it, make our hearts receptive to receive its truth that we might walk in its ways. So be the identifier, Lord, where we are not correct with you, and then be the grace that helps us to walk in the way of blessing. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, four quick points because he's identifying four groups of people in this passage that I want to just draw your attention to. Number 1, we ought to be thinking of older men in the congregation as fathers. We ought to treat them like fathers because we think of them as fathers. Now, I love this congregation for many reasons. I love the way Meadowbrook seeks to serve and provide for the young families of this church, the young people of this church. Uh I think that the younger folks of this church understand that they are a priority of the congregation of this church. When I came here 20 years ago, that was one of the first things that struck me. This is a congregation that is moving towards young families and young people. And I was very much appreciative of that. It's one of the things that I love about this church. In the same way, I love Meadowbrook because Meadowbrook shows honor and respect towards the older people of our congregation, specifically the older men. That's what Paul's referring to here to Timothy. I appreciate our senior adult men for their invaluable wisdom and their experience and their maturity, which is profoundly beneficial to this church. This church cannot make it without our older men, our elderly men. The older congregation are among the wisest of, of our entire membership. They are many of whom the ser- servant hearted, the capable people of this congregation. I seem, t- tend to move towards them because of that. Your witness has inspired me. Your teaching and insight to God's word has taught me. And your generosity is really profound in a way that strikes me to be more generous and the people of this church to be more generous. It's no wonder that the Bible is instructing us as a church family that we ought to treat you as fathers. Because you have earned that kind of respect. Now look at the passage there in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Now, don't be taken aback by that word rebuke because the setup of this message, the whole time I've been talking about rebuke, right? I've been talking about giving correction. And now here Paul is saying to Timothy, don't rebuke. I don't really think that that's a good way to translate that word. Just throw this out here. Uh, there are There's one other word for rebuke that is most often translated as rebuke from the Greek New Testament. This word is only used in the New Testament in this verse. So this is a unique word. It's a compound word in the original language of the Bible. It's epi um, plesos, uh, pleso, I think, epi pleso. I may not have that just right. So if you're quoting me, don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, epi means from, pleso means um, to smite against. You can rebuke somebody with that kind of tone where you're coming against somebody hard. But I really think what Paul is doing here is he's painting a word picture for Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, don't correct the older men in a way that strikes them verbally. Don't knock them out verbally. Instead, treat them as you would your father. Treat them with the respect and the care and the honor that you would your father. That's a good way to understand this term in the original language. So sometimes older men need correcting, and it's that way here. Sometimes there's a misalignment or a misunderstanding or a a false teaching that's, that's being propagated or whatever the case, maybe just somebody that just doesn't quite have a handle on some truth, and you have to Realign them to truth you have to explain the truth and he's saying come alongside them and do that as you would a father You wouldn't come at a superior position down to your father. No, you would come alongside your father and say dad, would you consider this? I've come to understand this passage to mean this. What do you think and ask them to come alongside you show great honor with that Let me just mention that that is a rare occasion here, and I'm grateful. The maturity, not just in age, but the biblical maturity of our senior adult men is really remarkable, and I'm grateful for that. You have continued to search God's Word, to engage in God's Word, and to do God's Word, and that is very evident. Some of you need to step into that role, but for many of you, you are already in that position, and so you are worthy of all the honor and the respect that God and encourages us and demands of us as a church to give to you but give me just a moment to speak directly to the older men for a moment though your knowledge and your experience is absolutely a valuable asset to this church it could be the cause for you to be closed-minded to be narrow-minded to to not be open and considerate to other people to think that it's your way or no way and as we get older, we have to be very careful about that. Older folks have a tendency to be seen as cantankerous. No elbowing in the room, please. <laughs> Crusty. Agitated. Whatever other descriptors you want to use. You and I who are in Christ Jesus have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and he is tempering us. He's helping us not to respond in a way that would be contrary to him with a reaction of the flesh, but instead he's helping us to respond with fruit of his dwelling within us. And the older we get, the slower we ought to be to speak the slower we ought to be to give opinion and just let the Holy Spirit minister through us. It's one of the things that I've really honored about my father is that he doesn't say a lot, but what he says has a lot of meaning to it. He's not gonna be on the platform. He's not gonna take the throttle of the conversation, but when he speaks, I know he's speaking with maturity. Many of us, need to work towards that. And I would encourage you, gentlemen, older gentlemen, if you find yourself being the guy who's a little bit crabby, don't let that be our last memories of you. (laughs) Let it be that we think of you very differently. I'm at the point now when I'm past 55 and I don't know exactly where I fit, but I think I fit more towards the older side than I do the younger side. So I concur with your um, ability to be crabby. This church is gonna treat you as fathers because you continue to bless us. And in the blessing that you are to us, you treat us as sons and daughters. And that is a beautiful exchange in relationship with one another. So church family, we are to encourage the older men in this congregation And if there is a correction that has to be brought about, we are not to do it harshly. We are not to hit them with words. We are to be kind and affectionate and honoring to our older men and come alongside of them and help them to discover the truth and the way of Christ. But then he goes a little further and he says not just about older men, he says to younger men that we ought to be treating them as brothers Many of the young men here at Meadowbrook encourage me and encourage you as well. They are the men who have great gospel influence in our community. They are gospel multipliers. They are heavily involved in their work life and in the community life maybe the sporting life with their kids or maybe even themselves, and they have significant impact. For many of them, they are the bright, shining light amidst the darkness of the world, and I am encouraged by their faithful witness. They are shaping the next generation because they are very specific to pour into their children. And their children are being fashioned with a biblical worldview and a Christ-centric way of living life. And it's because the younger men have determined to make a difference in that next generation, the generation that they are leading. They are providers and they are protectors. They are the kingdom workforce of Meadowbrook. They are the ones that get it done with vision and energy and real uh, tenacity that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and by the word of God and by the call of God. And for many of you younger men, you are like models to me and to us. And so if there's correction to be made, it will not be made in any other way but that a brother comes alongside a brother. And I will love you in that way and I ask that you love one another in that way and treat each other in that way. When confronting younger men with sin and error, we should treat them like a brother. And I'm not talking about fighting teenage brothers, okay? I'm talking about like maturing brothers that recognize my brother is closer to me than anyone. And I want to love him, and I want to demonstrate that love for him, and I want to engage him with that kind of love. Now, that kind of thematic approach of brotherly love is throughout the Bible. In fact, you see it on the screen behind me. Peter calls on us to love on the brotherhood, just love on one another. Paul urges us to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Hebrews writes, let brotherly love continue so, I've already mentioned that sometimes love requires correction and confrontation. And if that's the case among us at Meadowbrook, we ought to be doing it with brotherly love. For example, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica and he says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed, but regard him not as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now that seems a little bit contradictory, but let me just help you understand what he's saying here is if somebody is not living out the word that God has given to them through the apostle Paul by inspiration of the spirit, and they choose to go their own way, Don't just ignore that, he's saying. Don't treat them as somebody who's walking side by side with you, engaged in the word of God. Treat them differently, but don't treat them as an enemy. Treat them as a brother. You can't just act like everything's okay, that they're continuing in their sin, that they're rejecting God's word. You're going to have to engage that, but engage it, engage him in a way that would be like that of a brother. Treat brothers with brotherly love. Jesus gave us similar instruction when he said in Matthew chapter 18, This is the way we confront one another in sin. If your brother sins against you, go tell him it's fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother, you've won him back. So go engage him. If there's sin in his life, go to him. Win him back because you have love for him and you have love for your relationship. Win him back. And if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three. So if he's not listening and he's gonna continue in his sin, bring one or two more so that the two or three of you might win him back because you love him as a brother and you won't let him walk away from the life in Christ. You won't let him walk away from his faith that it might be shipwrecked. You, you want to woo him back into the instruction of God's word. If he still refuses, Jesus says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even then the church, then treat him as a Gentile and tax collector. In other words, l- let him be disassociated from the church. He will come out from under the covering of the fellowship of the church and the prayerfulness of the church and the g- engaging way of the church, relationally, fellowship. Now you've got four steps trying to win your brother back before you put him out. And the whole reason of putting him out is so that he might recognize the weightedness of living in life without the love of the faith family and the fellowship of the faith family and the prayerfulness of the faith family and brothers coming along side by side that he might understand what it's like to live outside the faith family. Woo him back, Jesus is saying. Love him back. So we ought to treat each other with great love and affection, not with an attitude of superiority do we go, but with humility we go, and we love that brother back. So let love be our motivator. Grace be our attitude. Humble restoration be our practice and our purpose. That's what we're moving towards, restoration. Just on a side note here, I'll just mention that we ought not let our brothers remain in sin and estranged from the family. Anybody have a black sheep in your family? You say, no, we don't have a black sheep. Oh, you're it. (laughs) You just didn't know it, but you're the one. Everybody seems to have black sheep in the family. And you have to go after them, right? They're not gonna call you. They're not gonna come around to you. You've got to go after them. And if there's a call to be made, it's because you're going to hit the dial. And you're going to engage them. And if you're together for the holidays, it's because you've reached out and you've said, hey, let's do this. Let's get together. And you do that not because you think that they're deserving of it. You do it because you have love for them, even when they don't seem to have love for you. That's the kind of stuff family does for one another, right? And it's that same way with church life. You can't let a brother just be estranged in sin. You have to go after them. You have to communicate to them. You have to tell them that you love them. Regardless of whether they want to be with you or not, you have to communicate love. And the reason why is because we are the body of Christ. We are the voice of Christ. And that person needs to know God's love and God's wooing back. And can I just tell you, that's a whole lot easier for me to preach about than actually live about? It's that way for you too, probably. That's difficult. But that's brotherly love. So we're treating our old men around here as would our dad, and we're treating the young guns around here as we would our brother. But he goes on further. Think of your older women in your congregation as your moms. Now, Meadowbrook's older women are beautiful gifts to our faith family. These women are faithful and they are prayerful. So many of them are loving and gracious and caring and nurturing and compassionate. They're disciples, they're teachers, they're organizers, they are devoted ministers. I mean, these people are like cream of the crop. If there's anybody that I'm quick to love on, it's the older ladies of this congregation because, man, do they ever serve this congregation and our Lord well. Our older women bless us and stir us to more remarkable ministry and mission, ever-expanding mission, and they are quite easy to get along with, it is a pleasure to serve with the older women of Meadowbrook. And the Bible instructs us how we ought to treat them and care for them. We ought to do so for those who are in this faith family like they are our mothers. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about what God's instruction is specifically for the women, the older women in our congregation as we dig deeper into chapter five. But it requires women to be of good works and hospitable and caring for the saints and be caring for those who are afflicted. We'll talk about that next week. But listen to another instruction that God gives to older women out of Titus chapter two, verse 2, 3, 4, and five. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, nor slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Let's just work through that list for a moment real quickly. To be reverent in behavior means that they are to live honorably before God. If you're an older lady at Meadowbrook, here's what God demands of you, live honorably before him. That's to live a life of reverence. To not be a slanderer. We don't often use that word slander, but slander from the original language of the Bible is the same word that gets translated devil, who is the father of lies, And so what he's saying, don't be devilish, don't come up with lies about people in order to tear them down. So be a woman of honor who is not like the devil, sharing lies about other people, and don't be a heavy drinker. Uh, Be one who is not drunk, and practice discipling young women so that they might know how to love their husbands and love their children well and live out the transformational work of God in you by the Spirit and by the Word, and then he gives some ways in which that's evident, that God's Word is very much alive, and he says that is you're living with self-control and purity, and you keep a well-kept home, a godly home. You are kind and submissive to your husband, and in that, people will applaud the Word of God because they can see it in your life, and the Word of God will not be reviled. So the way older women live really is a testament to God's work through his word in your life. We know, the world knows that God's word is living when they see it in your life, older ladies. That's a big shoe to fill, isn't it? And God's spirit will help you to do that. But you're gonna have to take on that role and live it out in its fullness. I can tell you ladies, this congregation is like me. We are thankful for you, especially those of you who exemplify this passage. You are remarkable women. Although I'm not sure that my wife has crossed the threshold to become an older lady yet, she is certainly marching forward in that. You know, she's older than I am by six months. I know this is true, she exemplifies the Titus two woman. Now, I'm not just saying that, I can tell you from the guy who sees her when her hair is not flat iron straight and she is who she is. I see her at her rawest moments and she is the Titus two woman and I'm grateful. Our African-American friends call her First Lady. We sort of jokingly talk about that around the house, that she's First Lady K. She's the First Lady of Meadowbrook. Our South Sudanese and Ugandan friends lovingly call her Mother K. And they call her mother in an affectionate way to this passage, treating older women as your mother. Treat them like your mama. It's an an endearment term for them. Mama Kay. I don't want to embarrass her more than I already have, but I can tell you this, that she is displaying God's word very well. And many of you older women are doing the very same thing. Some of you need to step towards that and see what God's call is for your life. See the empowerment of the spirit of God who will work within you and step into that call and make a great impact. God has treasured you in this church, and this church is treasured by you being here. Step towards that call. And then finally, he says, think of younger women with purity as sisters. I wished in the end I had flipped that around, but I didn't catch it until this morning when I was going back over my notes, but it should be think of younger women as sisters with purity. Church pastors and leaders and members should treat Women, younger women, as sisters in all purity. And that last little prepositional phrase, in all purity, is probably the most challenging and the most important of that section of the Scripture. We must protect the purity of women and think and act towards them in pure ways. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. As a leader, make sure you're instructing and urging and and wooing young women to God's word, but do it with purity, do it in purity. Fewer things sicken me and embarrass me and absolutely anger me in a righteous way than when I hear that a pastor or a church leader has sexually sinned against a young person. God mandates that we keep ourselves pure, sexually pure. And in this passage, he actually mandates and demands that we keep and protect the purity of other people, specifically young women. Men, we should think and act towards the women of Meadowbrook, specifically the young women of Meadowbrook, in the same way that you would your cherished sister as you're trying to protect her reputation and virginity before she's married. He says, view the women in your church, the young women in your church, in that way, with all integrity and with purity protection in mind. Protect them. Now, obviously, we live in a hypersexualized world. The world reminds me today of the days of Noah when every intention of man's heart seems to be evil. Man, that seems to be our world today in which you and I live. Thank God for his kingdom and his Holy Spirit that gives us a different reference point. See, you and I must be different than the people of the world, different because we have the power of the gospel dwelling within us, which has broken the chains that once held us captive. And the Holy Spirit is actively alive in us, sanctifying us, that is making us holy. And we have the mind of Christ so that we don't have to think with the smut that the world thinks with. And we have the treasure of the resurrected power dwelling within us that we can walk in a new way of living. You and I are given the opportunity and the empowerment to live differently and we must aggressively walk in that way protecting the young women around us because we determine ourselves to be pure. I want our young ladies to know in this congregation, you are a gift of God to us, a gift that we treasure. We thank you for your service. We thank you for your ministry. You're doing a remarkable job. Your energy, your creativity, your compassion, your nurturing, your devotion and dedication is invaluable to the life and ministry of this church. You are honored and your honor is worthy of our protection. So I want to just cut to the chase and say if there's ever a situation that makes you feel uncomfortable, if there's ever a situation in this church that it is inappropriate, if somebody has sinfully acted against you, you come to us and let us know and I promise to you you will be heard, you will be trusted and we will act in your best interest. You can count on that. Because we trust God and his word that says we ought to be treating you as you are our sisters whom we love and we cherish and we want to protect. So older men, younger men, older ladies and younger ladies, you all have a significant role to play in God's work here at Meadowbrook. I encourage you to live out your part well. And when you fail, know that it's in God's love that will come to you Your life group will come to you. Your church members ought to be moving towards you to bring correction. But we bring correction not from a realm of superiority. We bring correction in the realm of family love. Because we know to leave you in that sin will only bring demise to your life. And so to the older men, we'll come alongside you as we would our Father, and we'll show you great honor and great respect and try to woo you back. And to the younger men, we will come to you as brothers who love each other. And to our older women, we will come to you as we would our mothers. Who we love as God helps us to know how to love. And to you younger ladies, we will come as sisters. And we will treat you with care and affection, protecting your purity. And we will call you back. That's what life group is about. That's what friendship and fellowship in the faith family is about. That's what we do for one another to engage one another in such a way. So church family, throughout our days, we urge one another to correct those who you see need correcting. Handle it with care and affection, with love, as you would a father, a brother, a sister, a mother. I'm just reminded that we are family and we ought to act like family. We're working in the family business and we all share a common eternal home with our Father. And in that, it ought to be evident in how we treat one another, encouraging each other in the faith. Now let's pray together for a moment. Father, would you help us to learn how to treat one another as family? It's the family of God brought in by the glorious adoption of Jesus, our great brother and savior. Would you help us to think this way and act this way because we know if we will think and act in this way as a congregation, that Jesus will be honored and the Bible will be applauded and the church will be revered and the mission is more apt to be accomplished. So help us God to live in this way. Forgive us where we have failed Help us to mend relationships and fellowship that is severed because we've acted in unbiblical ways. For those of us who now reckon, Lord, that you have placed us in this family at this time in the generational place where we are in life for purpose, help us to engage in that purpose, to step to that role, to not do it in our own strength and our own power, but to do it in the power and the call of the Spirit of God, and to trust you for your great work that you're going to accomplish. For the old men and the old ladies at Meadowbrook, thank you, God. For the young men and the young ladies at Meadowbrook, thank you. Your Holy Spirit has done a remarkable job at bringing us together and making us one. May it be evident in our thoughts and in our words and actions. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're gonna close this part of the service with a simple song. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe some of you not. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified in me, in my house, in my life, be glorified. And as we're singing this song, I want us to think about the text that we've been talking about this morning and say, okay, God, as an older man, an older lady, as a younger man, younger lady, be glorified in me. Let it be evident in me. Lord, in this church, be glorified. You be exalted. Let your word be applauded, not reviled. Let it be because you're doing a work in us. Let's stand and sing. I'll have some people standing down front ready to receive you who are making decisions for Christ or want somebody to pray with today. We're here ready to engage you in prayer. church is only as glorious as the people are true to the word of God and that's the reason why Paul was addressing Timothy as this young pastor to engage the church in truth confront the church in truth because a church that is not given to truth cannot glorify God so O Meadowbrook may we be people of the word May our hearts be given to it, our minds given to it, and our actions be given to it. May it be persistent in us, and where we need to sharpen one another, let it be that we sharpen one another in God's word, bringing correction where correction is needed, and applause where applause is needed. So, Lord, we walk out of this room with a great hope and confidence in Christ Jesus with a hope and confidence that the Spirit of God dwells within us, that we might act in ways that's becoming of the glory that is shared with us, ever increasingly so. May you engage in our life groups in this next hour. Engage us with great ministry and prayer and truth from your word. May we be ever sharp as we leave. I pray in the name of Jesus.